Stay tuned for a special message from Michelle. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Summer is winding down. It's winding down. I know how you feel about that. Because we're scared about that vitamin D. What it does makes this me mean? Sad. <laughs> I know, and it, it has it has gone by in my mind too fast. It's just like oh, I'm starting to see people put up the pictures on Facebook of their kids going back to school. <laughs> like, stop it! I'm like, what is happening? So, yep, there you go. I know. I'm seeing those. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing those um, back to school posts. I'm like, how can I filter these posts? Because I'm like, I will not accept <laughs> this until September. I will not accept this till September. <laughs> When we hit August, I get anxious. I'm like, oh no, that means winter's coming. Like I, I skip a whole season. Like I skip all of fall and I go, winter's coming. Winter's coming. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. It's a- hello, hello, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Lord. Oh, hey. Lord. And winter in Michigan is hey, it's no joke. So mm-hmm. Girl, mm-hmm. same thing in Philly. So yeah, you know what it is. <laughs> but I'm trying to squeeze out the last bit of summer fun that I got I'm going to New York for a concert. I'm so hyped. Cannot wait. So <laughs> So let's just let's just thank the Lord for what we got. Oh, and we got our Truth Table Live. And Truth Table Live. Papa, actually, when they hear this, it will have happened. And I'm sure oh, it would have been a good, good time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we hope. So, <laughs> that's right. Re- retrospective praise. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know what, listeners? We have a little bit of... We're actually toward the end of the season, you know, mm-hmm. just in case y'all didn't know, but we're toward the end of the season and we're introducing <laughs> a series because this is what Truth Table does. We do things like this. Um, and it's not going to be like a consecutive series, but it's called Behind the Book. All right. If y'all remember, like Behind the Music, the H1s, Behind the Book. Look at that. Um, and so uh, so we're introducing a series. So from, from uh, time to time, we'll bring people people to the table um, who have written a book and we're going to go delve into their words and hear what they got to say. And so our first guest actually for our um, behind the book series is Jackie Hill Perry. And she is releasing her debut book, actually, Gay Girl, Good God. And I am so happy that she's here to talk to us about it. Hey, Jackie, how you doing, girl? girl. I am um, exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is candid. (laughs) I bet. I really, I do. I bet you are. No, really. So, But I thank you for making time. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, just in case y'all don't know who Jackie Hill Perry is, I'm not sure how that's possible, but <laughs> just in case, let me tell y'all a little something about her. Jackie Hill Perry is a writer, poet, and artist whose work has been featured on the Washington Times, uh, the 700 Club, Desiring God, the Gospel Coalition, and other publications. Since becoming Becoming a Christian in 2008, she has been compelled to use her speaking and teaching gifts to share the light of the gospel of God as authentically as she can. At home, she is a wife to Preston and mommy to Eden and Autumn. Welcome to the table, Jackie. Thank you, girl. Welcome, welcome. All right, so that's why you tired. (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. Mm, That bio is revealed. (laughs) 
For real. You well, you've already actually had a busy year. I mean, you released Crescendo, your second album. You had the birth of your second child, Autumn. She's so cute. Thank you. And now you're releasing your first book, Gay Girl Good. God, you've had a busy year. Yeah, I, I tend to walk in uh, the spirit of do too much. That's, <laughs> just, that's my thing. It's, I just do too much too much. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a good year. It feels like it's a, a fruitful year. Um, yeah. Yet at the same time, it's like, all right, I see the place of Sabbath now. Mm-hmm. Uh, necessary. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, Sabbath is... Um, well, yeah, help us, God. Help us to um, help us to actually practice Sabbath and show us what that looks like, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've had a busy year, and um, and the title. I, I was actually really compelled by the title, "Gay Girl, Good God." I love it, and yeah, I'm glad you love it because I was like, oh wow, this is really it really grabs you, and I was like, oh, I was I was uh, I think we'll get into it later, but I was like, oh, I was actually surprised by the title uh, based on the rest of the book that I read. So I was like. Huh, I was wondering like how you came to this title and yeah. why you chose it. Yeah. Um, initially when we did like the little titling uh, meeting, they were coming out with like these, the staff were coming up mm. with like, these titles that were super Christian-y. Like it, it sounded like, um, like devotionals, if you will. Mm. And uh, at, at one point, Somebody spoke up and was like, hey, I feel like these titles don't actually even match Jackie's personality or her Mm -hmm. ministry. She was like, I feel like we were introduced to her because of her candidness and her honesty and her authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so that set me free to say, oh, so I can just say what I want. And they were like, yeah, I was like, okay. (laughs) I I said, how about gay girl? Good God. Because I like Mm -hmm. alliteration. so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we wrote it down. And of course, they had to go back to the powers that be to see if that was okay. Um, but that was that. Because I think ultimately, I think my personality is one where it's like, hey, if this is what it is, this is what it is, I'm going to say it. Uh-huh. But also, I feel like when it comes to this conversation, people who usually are on the side that might disagree with me, they're very bold in their opinions and their stance mm-hmm. and their position. So why not me too? Um, but it's also great marketing. At the end of the day. <laughs> you have to sell yes. right. It makes you want to read it. It does grab you. It does. Tell yeah. us, can you give us a sample of like what were some of the other devotionally light um, uh, titles? I'm curious. Now. The most, the one I can remember the most was "Coming Out oh. Alive." Oh, oh yeah. like that sounds like a wilderness documentary. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> it just wasn't. It just wasn't good. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's 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 a that's a little peek behind the veil right there. but I I get it. Like in those meetings, it's like no idea is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, you got to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting to me? Like, so what I like about uh, the book, the title, and is people using platform, using word, using language to tell their story. And at least I would say a good like, honestly, it felt like at least a good half of the book is kind of this narrative, poetic interweaving of of your story like look this this is Jackie's story and it's, in some ways it's like you can't really right. you can't really argue with somebody's actual story it's like it's theirs it's their story to tell mm-hmm. it's their story to interpret it's their story to to use um it, it's their story to kind of slowly reveal and take back and and orchestrate as they see fit and I think in some ways that models a kind of a bit of what you know a bit of what we do at truth table which is we build a table and we try, even though we don't have all, you know, uh, a full view of things. Um, 
And I and we recognize mm-hmm. that at times we may say things or do things that are only expression of our vantage point at this moment, right? But we still get to say them. And I think it's still so important to model that. So I appreciate this. And I recognize there'll be other people who will tell their story, right? Um, and, and there's room for that so that we can better see each other and, and humanize each other well. Yeah, no, I think I'm glad you said that because you're right. This is your story. This is, and you are very transparent um, in this book. And so- uh, and I, I, I appreciated your candor. And I was like, wow. Mountain. Yes. Yes. Yet yes. And yet alive. alive and have the joy of the Lord. Um, <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so I, I did appreciate your transparency and authenticity, you know, in this book. Um, and, and just how candid you were with, um, particularly with your own, um, your own experience with what you, what mm-hmm. you call same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, you might have owned um, the, the title as a lesbian in the past. Um, but I, yeah, I want to use the title that you uh, use in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering uh, with all that transparency, I did, I was still left wondering is same sex attraction still a present reality for you? Is it still something that you're continuing, you know, to leave on the altar, right? And, and give to God every day. Is that still something that's a present reality um, for, for you? For sure. For sure. And I haven't met many believers who uh, who deal with same sex attraction that don't yet still experience that. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like this will just probably be my lot in life until I go to glory, which I'm mm-hmm. fine with mm-hmm. um, because I understand I'm in the body. I'm still human. I still got memories. I still mm-hmm. have dreams. I still have uh, things that trigger moments that I had with my exes. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so yeah, it's very much still a present reality in my life. Um, but I think it's not the most pressing reality. I feel like when I first became a believer, it was the temptations were stronger than ever. It was just like, mm-hmm. I was just with my girlfriend six months ago and I right. still her, and I still want to call her and stuff like that. Um, but I think as I kind of grew in the faith, the other idols of my heart that probably motivated that primary idol is the one that I had to deal with the most, which is pride, mm-hmm. which is um, mm-hmm. unbelief, you know, stuff like that. And so I think if anything, my main thing that I got to get over half of the time is that I just want to do what I want to do. Mm. <laughs> and that manifests like, like we all do. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it is. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Cause I was curious, I was still curious and I wanted, I, I'm glad you said that that way people can take away and be, cl- and be clear that you're not saying I'm in Christ now. And now that's all gone. Oh, great. I'm stri- right. <laughs> that's helpful. That's really helpful for, um, I think for our, our listeners to hear that. Yeah. Mm. And I and I and you do have a, a piece where you talk about what you call you know the heterosexual gospel, right? And and right. I I'd like for you to kind of unpack that. I think in so many ways you're getting into kind of a, a legalism, right? Or a um, or a or or a misgospel and ungospel. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. can you just share a little bit about what you've seen and learned and, and why it was important to write that that chapter? I think I think I started to notice what I call the heterosexual gospel the most when my story started to become more public. Mm. And I would see people use my story as a gospel presentation. And what they would say is, mm. hey, look at this girl. She used to be gay. Now she's married with children. 
you could be the same way too. Mm. It's like, okay, I don't, I don't think that's the gospel though. I don't think my marriage or the fact that God has given me the ability to love a man truly, I don't think that that's just a byproduct of my salvation. I just think that's the way in which he wanted to glorify himself in my life specifically. Mm-hmm. But what that does for Christians who are same-sex attracted and celibate, it makes it seem like, oh, am I not as glorifying to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Am, I as, am I as not glorifying to the Father? And so I think what the heterosexual gospel does is it put it 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 makes marriage and the non-experience of same-sex temptation the promise of salvation rather than Jesus. I think people need to come to Jesus for Jesus. Mm, mm. And so if that means you get married or if that means that you always are tempted to love those who look like you and talk like you and have your same biology. And and so I think it, I think it's frustrating. I think it's harmful. I think it's unhelpful. I think it's incredibly discouraging, especially when you come to the faith and now someone has dangled marriage in front of your head as if this is what you're supposed to do to show that you're saved or to show that you're delivered when it's like, nah, but I've been made right with God. Right. Should be enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I just think, um, I just wanted to help Christians to kind of reframe how they do evangelism to see that evangelism should be God centered. Mm-hmm. You're coming to Jesus for Jesus, period. If mm-hmm. marriage is part of that, blessed be the name of the Lord. If celibacy yeah. is part of that, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Both mm-hmm. are glorifying to the Lord. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and you really hammer that point home that um, heterosexuality is not the goal. Sanctification is, yeah, um, and we know that sanctification is. Well, let me not assume everybody knows, but sanctification um, is you know the process by which God is making us more and more like Christ, yeah. uh, even though sometimes we don't feel like it, like we are, but it's, it is actually happening. <laughs> um, and it's, inter- it, it is, it's incremental, you know, it is progressive, but it's not linear. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we go up, we go down, you know, we fall down, we get up. Donnie McClurkman mm-hmm. taught us. Um, and so, uh, and so I, in that process, I'm wondering if, um, so heterosexuality is not the goal, which you make that very clear in here, but I'm also wondering if, in your framework, is it possible, is there a third way for, you know, I'll just say a third way for lack of a better term. So um, you prefer the same sex attraction to be, um, I guess, you know, the, the label, the label that you use, maybe how you might identify and you can correct me, Jackie, if, if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are Christians who are celibate, right? Like you just right. described, but they, they will own the label gay, lesbian, or bi, wh- however um, their sexuality expresses themselves. They'll, they'll own it more, maybe more in a neutral sense, right? And then there are those that will own it and then live into that, right? Mm-hmm. Into that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if there is a, if it's possible within your framework to, um, how can we say, to affirm and to um, encourage uh, our our Christian brothers and sisters who own the label in a neutral sense, but mm-hmm. and are and are also living um, celibate, right, and are abstaining from sexual immorality. I wonder, is there room for that in your in your framework? So, uh, yeah, just can you t- talk to us about that and whether that is something mm-hmm. that you're that you would um, say, Amen, keep living for Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying whether you you own SSA or you own the gay label. What would you say about that? Um, I think me and you kind of, kind of talked about this over text a little bit before. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
Yeah, it's this topic is becoming more common or controversial even. Um, I, I this is my position. I, yeah. I think that it is not the most beneficial thing to identify yourself by what you have been set free from. Because when I look at the New Testament, I don't see Paul or God through Paul referring to believers by their past sins or even the sins that they currently struggle with. If anything, I see him referring to them purely on the basis of them being new creatures, them being beloved, them being saints, them being the church. Um, And so in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I just think it's, I don't know. I I, I just don't think it's helpful to identify yourself by that. Secondly, I actually Mm -hmm. been doing a lot of research on it because I feel like this question is coming up more Mm -hmm. now. And I feel like, uh, and this is me processing because yeah, I haven't sure. fully read it even on, but I feel like even this idea of orientation is a new creation. This is a new concept, um, literally like the last 30, 40, 50 years. When you look in the scriptures, you don't even see the framework of heterosexual uh, versus homosexual as it as it relates to personhood. You see natural versus unnatural as it relates to function. But I feel like when you see personhood, you see these are image bearers. I think that's our primary identifier. So part of me feels like maybe we've listened to the culture a bit too much to think that we have to be identified by who we're attracted to rather than be identified by who we were made for. And so I'm starting to lean more on, I don't think we should even have these titles in the first place. Rather, who are you submitted to? What are you submitted to? And identify yourself by that. If Christ, then be identified by his work. If not, then, hey. I think people on, actually, even within our generation, the millennial generation would be, actually would say, yes, no labels. (laughs) So they would say, (laughs) no labels, therefore. Right? So I can. And so I think that, uh, for me, I think precision precision is, is helpful and good. And I think that Labels, I think, in some ways set boundaries, um, mm-hmm. though sometimes unhelpful binaries, you know, which mm-hmm. I, I'll make that distinction. But I think they set boundaries because boundaries protect what is sacred. Right. Um, and so I don't I don't know that we have to do away with them completely. Uh, but I do hear, you know, uh, what you're saying. See, I'm curious about what your thoughts are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my guess is that there may be some differences around uh, common grace and the use of language from generation to generation. Um, but I mean, so, so what you said about scripture in the sense of um, the, the Bible does, it does not appear that we see uh, examples of, of, of believers being put into subcategories, like this type of believer versus that type of believer. Sure. I do think there is something unique though, about being able to say, particularly when you know you've had generations of people saying, eh, um, if somebody has same-sex attraction, then they're just, there is no way that they could be a Christian. Like, it's impossible. And in yeah. some ways, it's a bit of a corrective. It's a corrective to say, oh, no, they are gay or mm-hmm. same-sex attracted, and they are, they are um, claiming the blood of Christ as their only hope. Like, in some ways, that's, that's a way to push back on what you talked about as, like, the, the heterosexual gospel is for people to be able to say that. Cause I think that is, you know, it's, it's a, certainly I know in my, in my own childhood, that was kind of 
one of the you know top three the, the sins of like the, the big the big sins right um, <laughs> so um, uh, and that people tend to like hone into and um, when you have someone who says no this is my daily walk or my or this is what I this is uh, phys- my physiological um, mm-hmm. my physiological reality uh, on this side of glory um, but I am leaning into the blood of Christ and what who Christ has called me to be um, and, and it's, in some ways I think that shows the fact that Jesus doesn't you know the the gospel the blood doesn't always take away our present circumstance physiologically or contextually sometimes is the very evidence that it was only and all about Jesus to begin with. Amen. Yeah. Because there's nothing yeah. else, right? Like it's like, you know, like you're I didn't get any more money. Um <laughs> my trauma is still my trauma, you know, like all these things. Yeah. Um and sometimes that that ends up showing us even more brilliantly like, oh yeah, what I'm getting out of this is Jesus and that's enough. The fact that we do actually have treasures in jar clays. I mean I think that's really yeah. I think that is also the reality of seeing that. Oh yeah, okay. There's but Jackie, what you lift up, though, I think is is a part of so the the narrative that what you just shared. I think there is a group of people, uh, believers, who that is who are articulating very similar things, really leaning into that. Then you have a, another group that's very passionate about you have to own this particular label. Then of course you have others who are like fully affirming, fully accepting, right? Um, and so, by God's grace, my hope is that all of these people, um, that we would pursue, you know, God's word faithfully, um, and hear each other as well as possible in order to love each other. Well, yeah, I definitely think conversations are necessary because I think yeah. what helped me to start thinking through this is through conversation. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think being raised in a certain type of church context, sure. my assumption when, when I became a believer was, Oh, they say they're a gay Christian. They're a sin. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. You know that there was nuance to that. Yeah, and I actually started to have conversations. Like, oh, it's actually a different perspective to be had, and so um, for sure. But, but that's uh, good. But we got to be willing to have conversations with with everybody too. So, if, for example, you, Jackie, you yourself would represent a person that people might say, like, "Nah, we're not gonna have a conversation with her." Because we, we already think we yep. know, we already think we know what she's gonna exactly. say. Exactly, <laughs> and I'm like, exactly. no, you, I'm gonna need you to have a conversation with her and everyone else, right? Because these are image bearers, and the spirit of God is at work. That means that there's something for us to learn from them. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's through conversation, of course, that we sharpen one another, right? And that we learn um, and we can see the nuances and the differences within here. So I actually I really appreciate your transparency just even there or your honesty. They're like, oh, shoot, I used to think that, but now, oh, there's a different perspective. There's a nuance, you know, to this. And so I think whether somebody identifies as, you know, gay, right? Strictly gay, you know, um, or lesbian, any of any of those um, um, sexual identities or same-sex attraction, right? Because n- neither of them, you know, are, are in the Bible, right? You know, exactly. So I think they're they're all fair, but I we always want to be able to see, okay, what's the nuance there? And it sounds like you're you're open to that and you're you're learning, you're you're beginning to develop, you know, um, and grow even in that as well. And so I think that's that's really encouraging. And I think our, our listeners will really be blessed by that as well. So uh, so thank you for that. No problem. So this is so this is more about your your writing style, and I think I had mentioned this before we even started recording. I, like I could visualize uh, being at a spoken word event <laughs> and like in hearing these books said like chapter to chapter. They are mm. like the it's 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 like rhythmic. Um, 
from my vantage point, like reading it, I was like, this, this is kind of, it's, it doesn't rhyme. It's not poetry per se, but it is a kind of poetic style of unpacking very, very complicated and even painful things. Like I feel like the moments when you're going to say something that's the most painful um, and the most vulnerable yeah. is when I, is when I be, begin to perceive the most poetic flourish and color and language pop out, almost like it's supporting you. You know who I got that from? I know this ain't uh, uh, the question. Go for, Go for it. it. <laughs> it's, it's free. We we free at the table, girl. <laughs> when you read Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. I think it's she talks about the most terrible things yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the most beautiful ways, and it was disturbing. I'm like, this is disturbing and gorgeous and beautiful. Yeah, exactly. All at the same time, and so I, I learned a lot from her about how to. How to take mm. really bad things about life, but spell it out in such a way where it's just compelling. Yeah, mm. yeah. Was it difficult for you to write this book? Like, not just the mm. and, I, and for that I mean the emotive and candid element elements of the book, but the actual practice of going from spoken word to a narrative based novel. Yes, um, I actually tweeted while I was writing that I think writing a book is harder than uh, giving birth. Mm. Well, um, I bet. <laughs> Have a baby, you got an epidural. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> write the book, you just got to write that thing yourself. Okay. And so I, it, was, yeah. it was very, very difficult for me, mainly because I think as a poet, I'm in a person, I've been a poet maybe a decade now. I learned how to say really complicated, dense things in a short amount of time. So I learned how to communicate a whole sermon in one sentence. But with this book, yeah. they like, oh, we want 60,000 words. It's like, um, I could say that in a paragraph, though. Like, I don't know. How to, <laughs> I don't know yeah. how to flesh stuff out. So that was hard to get to a point where I could learn. It felt like over communication, but it was actually just good communication. But I think also the other part was most of most of the things that I wrote weren't difficult as far as like emotionally and stuff like that, except when I talked about my dad. I think yeah. that that brought up some pain. And so, cause I had to process through his thinking. I had to process through um, mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. that we've had that were hurtful. I had to process through his relationship with my mother and all of that. And so it just, it, I was in the coffee shop and I was like, I'm not about to cry here. Like, that's just not what I'm about right, to do. Right. So, yeah. I just had to stop mm-hmm. and leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I bet. And then when I was reading about your dad, that was the, the part that really resonated deeply with me, I was like, wow, there was, well, I don't want to give it away. Let me not give it away. But, <laughs> but there was a lot there and I was like, Ooh, I could feel yeah, like, you know, I, and, and also probably because of my own narrative too, but I was like, Oh, I could feel, you know, some of that. And like, this must've been hard. That it was at that point in the book when I was like, Ooh, this must've been hard to write, yeah. you know, like, cause I was like, I would have been in tears. Shoot. I'm about to be in tears actually. <laughs> so I was like, I think I would have been, a puddle um, had I had to write that. So, uh, so yeah. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal. I like those. To create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. It's available exclusively through Warby Parker's website and retail stores and glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. I love Warby Parker because it's eyewear with a purpose. Almost a billion people around the world don't have access to eyewear. This means that 15% of the global population cannot effectively learn or work. And that's insane because glasses were invented 700 years ago. We should be on top of this. 
Warby Parker partners with nonprofits like Vision Spring to ensure that for every pair of glasses that's sold, a pair is distributed to somebody in need. We believe that everybody has the right to see, and we are very thankful that Warby Parker believes that too. Warby Parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free. You heard me. Our home try-on program allows folks to order five pairs of glasses shipped directly to your door where you can try them on in the comfort of your own home and have all of your family members critique how that frame doesn't necessarily match your head shape. It's wonderful. And after you try those frames out for five days, you could send them back and you don't have to pay for shipping. It's no obligation to purchase. It's 100% free and it's so easy to do. I chose the Tilly frames, but I was so close to that Louise fade, you know, with that two-tone look. It was delicious. I feel like if there was some kind of associated flavor to eyeglasses, Warby Parker knows exactly how to fit between metal frames, ace tape frames, all of these very exciting options for color, and I really enjoyed my home try-on. Now, Warby Parker's free home try-on program gives you five pairs of glasses to try on for five days without an obligation to buy. It all ships free, includes a prepaid return shipping label. So if you want to do this, head over to warbyparker.com slash table to order your free home try-ons today. The glasses start at $95, including prescription lens. And the lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. And for every pair you buy, don't forget, a pair is distributed to someone who needs them. That's warbyparker.com slash table to order your free home try-ons today. Also, do you have an iPhone X? Maybe. If you do, make sure to download Warby Parker's app where you can use their brand new feature, Find Your Fit. Find Your Fit uses the iPhone X's True Depth camera to map and measure key facial features. Using these measurements, Find Your Fit recommends approximately 12 Warby Parker frames that are likely to best fit for your face. <laughs> that is great. And this process is so seamless, it only takes a few seconds. Truth's Table would like to thank Warby Parker for sponsoring our podcast. Please support them for supporting us. Have fun shopping, y'all. Speaking of the book, why don't I just read an excerpt hmm. of the book and ask you to unpack a little something for us. Okay. The copy that I have is page 94. I don't know what the, the listeners have, but I'm going to um, go ahead. It's, uh, which chapter is it? Let me, it is 2008, chapter 10. Now, um, in this excerpt, you say this, the community I, ha- I called home for a season of my life were all full of laughter and what I'd labeled life. But the reality was that my gay community was indeed lifelessness. So you're talking about the church here and um, contrasting it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were what I had been dead. They were still image bearers, still friends. They still mattered. I still loved them, but I loved God more. They could not help me love who they did not mm-hmm. know themselves. The difference between the gay community and the Christian community was not skill, intellect, comfort, humor, or beauty. It was that in one and not the other, God dwelled. Now That's the end of the, the quote. And I was wondering if you could imp- unpack that. I would imagine that's going to hit people. When I read that, I was like, ooh, ooh, this strong. I was like, that's a lot. And so I'm wondering if you could unpack that for us, um, that excerpt and what you mean by, uh, by when, you, when you say that... Um, um, God was in one community and not the other. Yeah, I'm I'm primarily speaking from the vantage point of 
the church and the bride of Christ and how the bride of Christ has the spirit of God in her. Um, yes. And because the spirit of God is in her, she is powerful. She is transformative. She is edifying. She is fruitful. Um, not because of her, but because of who is in her, which is God. Um, the gay community, and when I say gay community, I mean those who submit their lives to sin, those who have not repented of their sins, all sins holistically, and not have not turned to Jesus Christ in faith. That community, whether gay, whether straight, whether whatever, a community of unbelievers is not a community where God dwells. It's a community where the flesh dwells, where sin dwells, where there's lifelessness. And so really, I'm just pointing to the fact that I loved my gay friends. I loved my friends that I used to get drunk with all the time. I loved all of them. But for me to grow in faithfulness towards God, I had to remove myself from one community to live life and do life in another community. And that community was the local church, the bride of Christ, so that I could see God, grow in God, love God. Um, that didn't mean that I cut off my friends or disassociated myself from them, but I couldn't do life with them. It was a difference um, because especially in that season, that was not helpful for me because I wasn't strong enough to be able to agree with everything that they was agreeing with and doing everything that they was doing because that was still very much what I wanted to do. But I knew what I needed to do was to put myself in a position um, to be around saints and to be around the church and to be around deacons and elders, and whatever the case may be. And so mm -hmm. it's a hard statement, but I believe it's a true statement. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that too, about like, you know, so there's, um, when I think about the Apostle Paul's work in giving, you know, administering the gospel to to Gentiles, um, and you know his ability mm -hmm. to try to pick through and to see the grace that is already there, uh, to use that to point to it and to hype mm -hmm. it up to say uh, that God didn't just start watching you at this moment; He has had His eye on you and through uh, mm -hmm. His creation and people uh, for a very, very long time. It just shows the the uh the the depth of the love that God has for us when God is already at work in places mm -hmm. in which we're like God ain't there you know and so I think about um maybe even some of the lessons maybe some of the lessons that maybe you have learned that you see God now redemptively using uh in your life today maybe lessons that you learned from in those communities that in, from at that time may have been filled with so much negative things like the drug use, right? And not not having any self-denial uh, in terms of uh, your own your own flesh. But I'm wondering if there are things that you can see God has used redemptively about friendship, about community um, that mm. have even informed or taught you something that you can take to Christian community now. Um, honestly, not much, but I will say that I think what's been helpful for me to communicate to the Christian community mm -hmm. is how much the gay community is an actual community. Uh, and because it's an actual community, it can be terrifying to, to say, Oh, come up out of that community and join ours, even though we don't look communal. <laughs> that, that, that could be, uh, hello. that could be very, <laughs> that, that's just scary. You know what I'm saying? Especially for right. me, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Christians be Christians. Um, I hadn't seen the church look like the church as described in the scriptures. And so all I thought church was is show up, 
y'all yell and shout, you know, mm-hmm. call out some sins. You got an altar call. Everybody leave the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I thought church was. And so mm-hmm. I think what I've, what I've seen or what I saw is that the language that we spoke to each other, it was, it was just deep how like in the gay community, we literally had language and words that if you were not mm-hmm. a part of that community, you had no idea what was being said. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, like our own kind of type of a uh, native tongue, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, there was that. There was like the shared experience of what it feels like to be out, mm-hmm. especially in your black family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, the terror of that and the mm-hmm. shame that could come of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I've tried to impart more so that experience mm-hmm. in the experiences of the church, which is to say, mm-hmm. don't expect people to be willing to come into your community if you are not a community. Because mm-hmm. what's happening is the community that they are in is one full of love and appreciation yeah. and affection and nurture and all of this type of stuff um, may not be around or surrounded by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but yet and still that's into- that's intoxicating to be feel loved by people. Right. And mm-hmm. so how much more should the church then who actually has the spirit of God and is empowered to love by the work of the spirit um, and by the power of the gospel to do the same. Yeah. If not, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually why I think that's why the, um, that excerpt really jumped out to me. Cause I was like, wait, hold up. <laughs> that's why I felt like I was like, wait, God doesn't dwell there. I was like, what do you mean by that? Um, because within that community, they're there. They, I mean, I think I see a lot of God's common grace there where it's like, these people really do like um, understand what it means to support one another, to care for one another, to love them. Right. Not in the way that we would, you know, um, describe, right. Um, according to the gospel, but in a sense in which like where they, they do support each other, like as what you were just getting at and how the church must can actually learn, I think some things about that practically and what that actually might look like. So I'm actually glad that you, um, you pulled that out. Yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, and hitting on the fact that people long for, even even if we you know play this game of like I'm a loner, we are designed for community, right? Because of the fall, we have uh, we we now have we have distorted desires, right? Our loves are misaligned or like kind of Augustinian, but but we also still have a longing and a need to be placed in community. um, Yeah, our God's communal. Absolutely, absolutely, and the the church. Uh, invisible and visible church, right? Because we're not in glory yet. <laughs> we let people down all the time. And I, th- and I think that's a good point that you raised, Jackie, about how much we need to be doing some soul searching as the people who say that the, that the, that the spirit of the Lord is here. Yeah. How much more should we be loving and, and transparent and honest about our own areas in which we need to daily and tangibly repent and how much more loving and kind and open uh, ought we be. Um, right. mm-hmm. uh, so, and, and, and also uh, have enough love that can replace fear to actually look outside of ourselves and say, what can I learn there? What can I, what can I see there? Where can I see uh, God's uh, evidences of graces in different places? And what does that say about where we are today and our in, within the church? So I think that's a great point. And I think that's a real um, that's a real temptation for people because we are going to we're going to find ourselves wanting to be wherever we can be fully, fully who we are. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And to be fully seen and, and have someone say it is good. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, good. And to be clear. I wasn't implying that God's present 
presence isn't there because mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I was yeah. present everywhere, um, yeah. even in hell. But I, what I was implying is really that the church is the only organism to which scripture says the spirit of God dwells. Yeah, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a difference. And so, yeah, I just want to be clear about That's that. That's good. Yeah. Yep. Sure. yep. No, that is good. Thank you for that clarification. Who is the audience for this book? Who is the audience? Who are you talking to? When you wrote Gay Girl, Good God, who are you speaking to? It's, it's three groups. The first okay. group is those who are have not been gay, don't understand mm-hmm. all that type of stuff, but they want to love the gay community well, mm-hmm. writing to them. Uh, I want this book to be a, a way of walking in somebody else's shoes so mm-hmm. that you can grow empathy and love. Okay. Um, the second group are those who are within the church that are still and yet dealing with same-sex temptations. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, I feel by myself. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I want to go back. Yes. This is really hard. I miss my girlfriend, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Right. Um, but the third group are those who are, they might be in the church, but they're not in the church. They're not believers, mm-hmm. um, but they they either experience uh, same-sex sin or whatever the case may be, or they might be people who are unbelievers who engage with this topic often and don't know what to believe. They don't believe the scriptures, but they might believe scriptures or whatever the case may be. Those people I want to speak into their lives to see just a different vantage point on the discussion. Because I try my best to make this book as God centered as I possibly could. Yeah. Because yeah. I want it to, I want people to walk away seeing that this, though we're talking about sexuality, this isn't all about sexuality. This is primarily about God and about his gospel yeah. and that he made our bodies for himself. And in doing so, he has secured a way for us to be free through him, through Christ, through Jesus. And so I don't want people walking away having more of an understanding of me than they do about Christ. And so mm-hmm. I, I just, those three people I had in mind, cause I just want, I just want all of them yeah, in whatever circumstances they might be in to see God mm-hmm. rightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I would say that I do see you, even though this is a narrative that tells your story, it, it is, it is clear. There's a deliberate hand in it where you are saying like, no, let me sit down <laughs> so that you can see God stand <laughs> up. <laughs> So, I mean, I think you're using your story and you're using some painful and all kinds of pieces of it to say, like, now let me show you the Lord working on this. And it's not done yet. The story is not even done yet. Um, and I, I think that's a real a real uh, testimony to the way that we can all think about how we live our lives um, so that we have lives that show off God's God's handiwork in us. That's still a work, you know, in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's a portion of the book kind of early on where you talk about. Um, uh, breaking up with uh, your girlfriend, and this is this is you kind of coming to faith. This is after the you know you talk about the prayers of your cousin, and um, and you talk about uh, you descri- you describe her as your woman and your idol. And as I read that, I, I, I begin to think about the ways in which we sometimes uh, replace idols in our life, and sometimes we we can end up doing that before we even know it. And I'm wondering, one, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how we can resist that, how we can resist going from one idol to even creating an idol of another from somewhere else, right? And what specifically came to mind for me is that I thought about um, some of the very kind of what I would, what I call genderized legalism that we see in some mm-hmm. conservative theological spaces. This doesn't mean that I can't 
and don't don't worry, I can pick on the progressives too. But the the genderized legalism oftentimes places women looking like you know 1950s Stepford wives, um, and that becomes another idol, another kind of works based expression of of gender. Um, that has its own set of consequences as well. So I was just wanted to throw that out to you about how do you how do you resist going from one idol to the other, and what does it mean for you mm-hmm. to be a person who um, who doesn't fit the 1950s Stepford wife <laughs> in, in different spaces? I, I think um, I, I think the why is helpful, and what I mean by that is the why did I believe that this person or this mm-hmm. thing could make me whole? And so I think when I when I diagnose the why, then I'm able to get to the truth. So, for example, if my why is I want this thing because it will bring me comfort. If I don't deal with the fact that it's less about the thing and more about the fact that I'm believing that a, a created thing can give me comfort rather than the living God, then what's going to happen is I'm going to be like, oh, let me cut you off, but I'm not going to cut off the desire for comfort from other things besides God. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to cut, like even people do this all the time, even in um, when coming to Christ, quote unquote, they'll say, okay, I think the heterosexual gospel is part of this. Okay, let me get with a man. Mm-hmm. But it's like, mm-hmm. but you haven't dealt with the heart first. Sure. And so just because you got with that man doesn't mean that your, your heart is actually right with the Lord. Because what's going to happen is now you just mm-hmm. thought that he the can fix idol. you. Mm-hmm. That this man, yeah, that this man can can do what I guess the girl didn't do or what you believe Jesus can't do. Um, and so I think getting to the root of the unbelief will then help me to be able to say, okay, let me choose the right thing to believe, which mm-hmm. is. God actually is the source of all comfort. Does that mean he doesn't use people to comfort us? Yeah, of course he does. Right, right. He, of course. But do I believe that he is the source, that I need to go to him for this? And so the replacing of the idols just has to be removing the idol, repenting from it and replacing it with God and not another person or another thing and believing that that's going to do the trick. But I think also with the other thing you were saying, that all of that is weird to me. Because when, mm-hmm. when it comes no Because when I came to faith, I didn't know what womanhood was. Right. I, so the only thing I could do was read books, mm-hmm. and a lot of these books, I was like, that don't that don't sound nothing like me. Nor right. does it sound anything like the women I grew up around. Yeah. Um, when I when I have a mom who was mm-hmm. out, like my mama is is that woman. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Cutting her grass paying all her bills, going to work every day, taking care of me, making sure I was affirmed and loved and all of this type of stuff. She was not timid. Nor like was my she mama. <laughs> like she said what she meant and she meant what she said and she would, she didn't whisper it. Like it wasn't something that she should be able to say out loud. And so I think when I was introduced to the Christian mm-hmm. or not even Christian, but the cultural view in Christian circles, of womanhood, it was confusing and many times discouraging because I felt like I don't like dresses. Right. I don't like dresses. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to bake. So if I get a husband, I this man just because he likes cookies. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I have a heavy voice, mm-hmm. and so for me to for you to make me think that meekness is a sound Same. or a type of woman rather than what I do with the strength in my womanness, then I just don't, 
I don't know what to do about that. And so I think, I think there is a awakening to the fact that that stuff ain't real. And I'm excited about it. I see so many women now who are proud to be themselves in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not to say, oh, I'm going to just wild out and be disrespectful. No, but I'm going to be myself in how I love God. Mm -hmm. He's given me this personality and he's given me the context of which I grew up in to see women express like black women are different, period. (laughs) And that's a great thing. And I love it. And so I probably didn't even actually answer the question, but. Oh, you did? You did? did. (laughs) That was good. He was like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm here. I'm here with you. You and, and I, I mentioned to you, this to you already, Jackie, about the line that kind of um, that kind of stopped me was the one my father loved me sometimes. Yeah, and um, and even the way you know that it's written, you some parts of it is in, in uh, uppercase, and then the sometimes is kind of it's in lowercase, almost like hidden off the page, almost like hiding itself in shame. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is my poetic interpretation of what I saw. <laughs> Your but but th- th- thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's what we all do say. But but I, I I looked at that and I thought about how excruciatingly painful that mm-hmm. line in and of itself was. But I also made me think about the persistence of of God, that God's love is enduring um, mm-hmm. and started before us. Mm-hmm. And also about what the church's love needs to look like in light of being God's people, right? Um, so I, I just wanted to see if you could just spend a little bit of time talking about God the Father's love for you. Oh man, um, my my father, I, I've ha- I have a mercy towards him, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I don't know how that would be. I don't know if that would look the same if he was still alive. Mm-hmm. I think there's like. Mm, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I, I think I'm merciful towards him in the sense that he could not love me. He should have, but he could not love me well because he did not love God. And he, that's not to say that men who don't love God don't love well, but my dad was particular and his sin of choice was narcissism. Mm-hmm. He just loved himself. Mm-hmm more than anything, more than anybody, more than his children, more than his wife, more than anything. And so I think if he would have known the father, he would have then been able to overcome his bend towards selfishness to love me well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I've never blamed or projected onto God, my father's behavior. Mm -hmm. And I know that that uh, is a struggle for some, but for me, I think when I read the scriptures and how it described God, I saw that he really is God. Mm-hmm. He really is God. right. Be different, right, man? Right. I've seen in my life, and how his holiness anchors all that he does towards mm-hmm. me. And so, if he's holy, then he can't lie to me. Mm-hmm. So his promises are true. If he's holy, then when he says he delights in me, he's actually being honest. If he's holy. Then when in in him sending his son to die for my sin is his kindness towards me in the fullest expression of kindness that I'll ever see in my entire life. I think just seeing him through the scriptures has shown me that, nah, daddy didn't do it, but I got a daddy that's really good at doing Mm -hmm. this thing well. Um, And so I, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I think even my husband and seeing how he fathers my daughter 
has been revolutionary in how I see even the Father God because it's like a tangible image of mm-hmm. fatherhood mm-hmm. that I wasn't able to be growing up, but that now my daughters can. And so it's it's hurtful sometimes. Yeah. Like I remember one time I went to a, a wedding and this girl was a father-daughter dance and mm-hmm. they were dancing like they loved each other. Mm-hmm. Like they knew each other. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm getting emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that's what heaven will be like is, is us being able to dance with the father mm-hmm. um, forever. So that's a word. Us being able to dance with the father. I mean, that's beautiful, particularly for those who, you know, who have lost their father either through abandonment, you know, or through death. So that's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for um, unpacking that for us. Well, I have just one more question um, for it's our final question, really. Um, but I, I'm curious. You, you you mentioned the three audiences that you're that you're um, speaking to with the book, and um, one of those audiences is is like seared on my mind right now. Um, and I'm wondering. Um, and, and when we think about the cross, we know that the way of the cross is self denial, right? Um, but it is not self delusion. And so I'm wondering what you would say uh, to our Christian brothers and sisters, um, even those who identify as non-binary. I wonder what you would say to them, those who are in the closet, who haven't yet, because you know, now because we can't repent of nothing we haven't confessed, right? So we got to face this thing. Um, and, and I'm wondering what what would you say to to those brothers and sisters who are in the closet, who are afraid, um, fearful. Whatever is keeping them in the closet, what would you say um, oh. to them as one who has actually um, had to walk that path and, and come out? Yeah. Um, it's going to be hard. It, it's not, not going to be an easy thing to do. I think opening yourself up to people, not knowing how they'll respond is terrifying because you feel so vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you're hurt. Mm the hurt is is more felt in a way. Um, So I would encourage then for the confession to be to God Mm -hmm. first. Um, I've always been encouraged or intrigued by uh, Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned, Mm -hmm. they hid behind the tree. And then God, he's walking in the garden. He ain't stumping. He ain't running. He's not raging through it. He's walking yeah. <laughs> in the corner of the day. And he asked them, hey, where you at? Mm-hmm. Where are you? Mm-hmm. And the, the thing you would think is, God, you know where he at. Why would you ask them that? But he's asking them so they can then tell him why they're there. And so I feel like the place of confession is this is freeing for you to get yourself out of the dark and come into the light so that then God can deal with you and make you right with him and heal you. Mm. But I think, it, I think it, confession sounds negative. It sounds harmful because of course the devil would want us to think that's the case. He loves secrets. He loves the dark. He likes for stuff to be hidden, mm-hmm. but Christ, Christ is all about light. Yes. All the yes. things. Oh, yeah. out. And so I think what I would encourage is take that to the Lord. And I think when you confess it to God, there's something freeing about the fact that he heard you already and he knows it already. And he will forgive you if you, if you repent and believe in his name. And so once that happens, then I have no fear about what a man can do to me Mm. or what a man can say to me, because your indictment of me is not absolute, nor is it absolutely true, but it's what Christ 
has to say about me. Mm-hmm. Christ is the one that condemns or forgives, not y'all. Yeah. And so I think for some of us, though, I think the confession to people will be the expression of our faith um, in many ways, where it's not, oh, I told God, so I'm good. I think right. we have to be right. willing to invite people into that space mm-hmm. Because God uses people. Yes. And so sometimes we need people to be able to speak life over us. And so we can't assume that because we confess it, that everybody going to shame us. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of good saints in the world that actually know the Bible and love God and love people who will be able to encourage you the way that God would if he was in your room with you. And so, yeah, confess to God, confess to others and don't be afraid because God heard you and he's good. That's so. good. Yeah. And he is in the room with you. That's a beautiful God word confession, right? God word confession. Um, and you come under the blood. That's it. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit will help you as the Holy Spirit is helping us all. Okay. Come get us, Jesus. <laughs> so come get us, Lord. That was beautiful. I mean, I mean, this idea of telling God your secrets, mm-hmm. right? All of them, right? The ones that are socially faux pas. Uh, the ones that uh, where uh, you've sinned against others and others have sinned against you. But this, 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 yeah, tell God, tell God first, tell God oh, all yeah. of it. God knows, but there is something about telling God um, our story yeah. and then watching God as he, as he gives us and completes our story and refines our story and shows mm-hmm. us all these different layers that, that yep. are within it. Yeah, I believe he, he wants to meet us there, oh, just yeah. like he met them in the garden. He initiated that conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he wants to, yeah. And we thank God that he does, you know. So yeah, where confession is, grace abounds, you know. So that's just it's beautiful. Well, Jackie, it's your turn to talk to our listeners. Tell them how they can support your work. <laughs> what you doing, girl? <laughs> you go ahead and tell them. Is the same for the most part. The website JackieHillPerry.com. Okay. Facebook, uh, Instagram, Jackie Hill Perry. Sweet. Oh yeah, and how about the book? Where, where, where? Okay, can they buy that from your website as well? They can if they scroll down. Or the <laughs> quickest way is GayGirlGoodGod.com. Oh, but okay. That's- technically my website too got it got it okay good stuff well jackie we want to thank you uh for taking a seat at the table with us uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule um, to come and speak to us and of course we want to thank our listeners as well for taking a seat at the table y'all know you can follow us on twitter and instagram at truth table uh, you can also book Truth Table and have us come to you by using our website. Go to truthstable.com. Email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath, and our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.